Luke chapter 11, on this Sunday where our youth have led us, and on this Sunday where our student ministry director will honor our graduates, those from high school, those from college, and those from grad school. So today we have a celebration. So I will uh, move as swiftly as I can through this message so that we can honor our honorees today. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As you see here, Jesus was asked a simple question by his disciples. He was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. The Bible says that Jesus went to a certain place to pray. And more than likely, this was the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the gardened area with all of the beautiful flowers and the wonderful smell that he made it his custom, according to the Bible, to go to this place and pray and spend time with his father on a regular basis. So as the disciples were noticing this pattern about Jesus, they said, Jesus, don't leave us out because it looks like you're having such a good time in prayer. Would you teach us what you're doing? the way John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And so Jesus broke down for them what I would call the structure of prayer. And in the structure of prayer, we are to acknowledge who God is. He is our Father. We are to acknowledge where God lives. He lives in heaven, which means he has all authority. We are to acknowledge God's nature and that is he is hallowed or he is holy. He is set apart. He is unique. He is distinct. There is none like him. As we pray, we are to acknowledge God's coming kingdom that will occur on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, we know that everything and everyone submits to Jesus Christ as Lord. And there will come a day when his kingdom will come and every knee will bow of things in heaven as well as of things on the earth and things under the earth and everyone will confess that Jesus is the king of this kingdom. So when we pray, not only are we to, we to acknowledge who God is, acknowledge where God lives, acknowledge God's nature, acknowledge God's coming kingdom, but we are also to acknowledge God's will. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will. You are God and I am not. It is what you want and not what I want. So prayer speaks of submitting oneself unto God. But not only that, once we acknowledge all that God is, as best we can, humanly speaking, then we are to see our need for daily sustenance, i.e. our daily bread, the water, clothing, shelter, all those things that we need. We're also to see our need to be forgiven, where Jesus said that we are to ask God to forgive us of our sins. 
And then not only that, we are to see our need to forgive others. We're also to see our need to be led away from temptation. And then we're to see our need to be delivered from the evil one or from the clutches of Satan himself. So Jesus gives us a structure, a way to pray. And it wasn't so much a legalistic formula, but he was trying to give his disciples a pattern in which to pray. To begin acknowledging who God is in our prayers and not just jump into prayer talking about ourselves. So he gave a general structure. But not only that, Jesus gave them a parable in the next few verses that we'll read momentarily. And in the next few verses, he gave them the attitude that we're to have when we pray. Because it's one thing to pray, but we also need a particular attitude or a spirit when we pray. And that attitude or spirit of prayer is persistence. We need persistence when we pray. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 that men should always pray and not faint and not give up. Because it's easy to faint in prayer because the spirit in us is willing, but our flesh is what? Weak. So the minute we start moving towards God in the discipline of prayer, our flesh goes the other way. And so it's a battle constantly to surrender this flesh in the presence of the Lord, whereby the spirit of God takes over. And so that's why Jesus said men should always pray and not give up because men give up in prayer. Just as the disciples gave up in prayer when Jesus needed their prayers the most in the Garden of Gethsemane, they went to sleep on Jesus three times. Men should always pray and not give up. So in this passage, after he teaches about prayer and just gives the guys a general structure of prayer, now he's going to give them the attitude that we must have in prayer, and that is found in this parable. A parable is simply a story with a major meaning to it, with a major spiritual meaning to it. Now, there may be other derivatives that you can get out of the parable, but Jesus, when he tells a story, there's usually one central meaning of the story. And in this story, we're going to see Jesus is going to encourage the guys that here's your structure in prayer, but now here's the attitude that we must have while we pray. And it says in verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus said in verse 8, I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus is telling a story to the disciples that we're able to look into 2,000 years later and we're able to see the substance or the spirit behind successful and powerful prayer and that is persistence. Why, pastor, is persistence important? Because we're entitling this message persistence pays off. Persistence pays off. Our graduates understand that persistence pays off. You hung in there. You did not give up. 
Because persistence keeps going when you feel like stopping. That's what persistence does. When you're persistent, you keep going when you feel like stopping. Persistence goes to the gym when it's cold outside and you've got excuses to stay inside. Persistence gets up and goes to work every Monday morning because you know you got bills to pay even though you'd like to stay in the bed. Persistence has a way of keeping on going when other people stop going. Persistence keeps going when it doesn't make sense to keep going. Persistence keeps going when you haven't seen the results that you want. Persistence keeps going when resistance says stop. Resistance will come against your persistence every single day, but resistance cannot stop persistence. Persistence is like the energizer bunny. It keeps Going and going and going and going. Persistence has a way of taking life's lemons, adding a little sugar called grace, and turning those lemons into lemonade. Excuse me, Beyonce, but you didn't come up with that first. (laughs) Martin Luther King once said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Can somebody say amen? Amen. You've got to keep moving forward, especially in prayer as well as in life. In this parable, persistence is seen in the man on the outside who had a need. The man on the outside who had a need who needed bread for his friend who was coming, he demonstrates to us in this story that Jesus tells us what persistence looks like when persistence operates through an individual. But there's another man in this story, and that's the man on the inside or the inside man. So you got the outside man who's demonstrating persistence, and you got the man on the inside who is dealing with being inconvenienced. Because when you read the story, It was an inconvenient time. It was midnight. It wasn't 12 noon. It was 12 midnight. That's an inconvenient time. For somebody to come and and knock on your door and ask for bread. That's an inconvenient time. Now, Now, if somebody came to your house tonight, at midnight and started knocking on your door. Let me tell you what will probably happen. Because right here, right now, we got the spiritual look on. But when you are tucked cozy in your bed, dreaming and all kind of stuff is coming out of your mouth onto the pillow, you're curled up, having a good time sleeping, and then you hear, well, you're going to go through a couple of progressions that will lead to possibly transgressions. Oh, you don't want to go with me today. But if somebody knock on your door in a time where the door is not supposed to be knocked on, you're going to get irritated and agitated. You're going to wake up with a little bit of attitude on you, and your question is going to be, who in the world is that knocking on my door at this time of night? 
Now, the Holy Ghost is going to catch up with you in a minute, but that'll be your initial response. <laughs> you'll be irritated, you'll be agitated, but then also your mind will start spinning saying, that must be bad news down there because ain't nobody going to knock on my door at this time of night unless they've got something critical to say to me. Like maybe one of my children who was supposed to be at a situation, maybe they got in a car accident or something happened in the neighborhood. Somebody, a house is on fire down the street. So you're assuming that it's going to be something catastrophic or cataclysmic, not somebody rolling up in there asking for a loaf of bread. And so some of us, though, when we hear that knock late on in the midnight hour like that, we reach right into the dresser right next to the bed. Y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't hear me. And some of y'all are going to grab your pistol because you're like, there's something going on down there. And so you go down and you're armed and you're ready because that's not a convenient time for somebody to knock on your door. It was an inconvenient time. Jesus said the man came at midnight. And then it was an inconvenient request. Again, he didn't knock on the door because he said, hey, you know, my, my, my spouse is unconscious. You know, my child is unconscious or someone just broke into my house and I am afraid. No, he knocked on the door asking for three loaves of bread. Now, if I can think of this here, the man comes and he says to the man on the inside, my friend just came to me. And I want to make sure that I can set some bread before him. So let me see if I can get this right. There's you and then there's your friend. And you need three loaves of bread. There's one of you and one of him. One plus one is two. But you got the nerve to ask for three loaves of bread. So you already got a vision that this request is going to go past this night. Because should not one loaf take care of two brothers late in the midnight hour? But you got the nerve to ask for three loaves. It's an inconvenient request. And my question is, why didn't you go to the store and get your own bread? Because you knew your friend was coming from a long journey. You probably knew that weeks ago. You should have been prepared. Now, I got to be inconvenienced for your ill preparedness. And you're asking me late at night. You could have come earlier today. You could have gone to the grocery store yourself. So no wonder the man says in the parable, do not trouble me. In the Greek, that means leave me alone. <laughs> but not only was it an inconvenient time and an inconvenient request, it was an inconvenient moment. The dude said, the door is now shut. The door is now shut. This is an inconvenient moment because that means I got to get up and open the door. But I'm here to let you know, I'm yelling at you from the inside to you on the outside. The door is now shut. For those of you who work retail, for those of you who work retail, one of the things that will test your spirituality and the depth of your understanding of your walk with God is when if your store closes at 9 o'clock and you begin folding up everything, getting it ready so that you don't have to stay too late to have the store in order before you come back the next day and you start putting things in order, you start sweeping up, 
Now, now you, you can't just shut the door because it's not 9 o'clock. But you do pull the little gate out far enough to let folk know for they come up in there. I'm a rob. We trying to close up in here. <laughs> and you know how it is. Somebody going to walk in. And they're going to start messing up all the stuff you just straightened up. And you're sitting there watching. You're looking at your watch. Announcements are coming over the PA. It is now 8.55. Target will be closing in five minutes. Get out of the store, people, right now. But there's somebody in there. And so what this guy said, man, the door is shut, dog. The door is shut. It ain't opening until the morning time. We open up at 10 o'clock. Come back in the morning. So it was an inconvenient moment. And then he said, to make it worse, he said, my children are with me in bed. This is another reason I don't need to get up. Because if I get up and my kids get up, we're going to have a problem up in here. I just laid them down. They're sensitive to sleep. And don't let them have a newborn. Oh, I went to a friend of mine's house this past week that has a newborn. And I remember when we had our newborn, babe. Oh, yeah, you had to protect things. Once you got them down, shh, don't make no noise. Well, I went over to my friend's house. They had a sign on the door bell. And the sign said, don't ring the door bell. <laughs> then they said, do not knock on the door. Baby inside. Then the next one says, get out of here now. <laughs> Man, once you lay them kids down and you're trying to get some peace for one, oh, just let them sleep through the night, Jesus. Oh, Je just let them sleep through the night. And then here comes somebody at midnight. Yo, dog, you got some bread? Yeah, I got some bread. So my man on the inside was being inconvenienced. And so he comes up with a convenient conclusion. And he says at the end of verse 7, he says, uh, I cannot rise and give to you. That was a convenient conclusion. He was being inconvenienced, but he said, okay, here's the conclusion. I cannot rise and get up and help you. Now, here's the truth. He could have gotten up. He just didn't want to get up. He didn't want to get up. Now, What's not mentioned specifically in the text, but we can pick up on it because Jesus talks about the man being persistent, is that the guy kept on knocking on the door. He kept on, even though my man said, no, no, bro, I cannot get up, dude. Bruh, I cannot get up. <laughs> Jesus said the man on the outside, according to verse 8, was persistent. The guy didn't get up because they were homeboys. The guy got up because the guy was getting on his nerves because he was persistent. The word persistent is translated in the King James Version as importunity. What does that word mean? I don't know. But in the Greek language, what this word persistence and importunity means, it literally means being bold. Not having any shame on your face whatsoever when you make your requests. 
You are bold-faced. You are shameless. You don't have anything for which to be embarrassed or deterred. You are persistent, and persistent people do not shame easily. Persistent people don't mind asking for stuff and even being turned down again and again and again. They don't want to hear that, that y'all not hiring. No, no, you're not hiring them, but you're going to hire me. So let me give you this application and this resume right here. They are persistent. They don't have no shame in their game whatsoever. And Jesus is saying, because if you're going to knock on somebody's door at midnight, that already tells me about your personality. You, you're not easily embarrassed. You're not easily shamed. And again, the Lord is trying to give us an example of how we are to pray to God. We are to be persistent in our prayer. We're to, become, we're to come boldly before the throne of grace to look into the face of our God to say, Lord, I have a need, whether it's in the midnight hour or if it's noon day. So Jesus tells us that the man was persistent. The man on the outside, According to how we look at verses 9, 10, and 11, when Jesus is talking about prayer, the man on the outside strong tower, he kept on asking, he kept on seeking, and he kept on knocking. Because in verse 9, again, Jesus is talking about prayer. And so he's saying that when we pray, just don't pray one time and say, you know, it's over. I ask God to heal this or to save this person or to fix this or to help me. And, and, and we think, I prayed it one time and that's enough. But God says, let me see how important it is to you if you keep on praying about it. If you keep on praying about it. Because sometimes what we think is a need when we first start off praying, we find out that it ain't so much a need because we stop talking about it. And it kind of goes away. But if we keep talking about it and keep bringing it before the Lord and keep beseeching the Lord, God sees that this thing really is a need. We see that it really is a need when we keep on asking. Because ask in verse 9 and seek and knock, they are all in the present active imperative, meaning keep on doing this. It is a command. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on in your prayer life. Keep on in your life be persistent. So I asked myself this question. Why was the man on the outside so persistent? Why, why, why did he keep on knocking? I know he was shameless. He was bold. But why, why, why? Well, I believe the reason why he was so persistent is because he never heard the man on the inside say, I don't have any bread. <laughs> now, he heard him say a whole bunch of stuff. Man, my kid's asleep. I'm in the bed. It's late. But he never said, I don't have any bread. And if they're friends, he's been over his house. He know what he got in the cupboard anyway. I know you got some bread, dog. So because he never said it, he knew that what he needed, his friend had. Now, when we look at this parable, the guy on the outside is a picture of you and me in our prayer life. What's it going to take to discourage us? What's it going to take to make us give up on God and to stop seeking God? Are we going to trust his nature even when he doesn't give it to us on the first time we ask? Are we going to trust his nature? Because, you know, sometimes with your kids, they'll ask, can I have a freezy cup before bed? No. 
can I have a freezing cup before? They'll stop asking because they see, no, I'm not giving you that because that ain't according to my will as the parent. But when you keep asking God, sometimes he'll say no. Sometimes he'll say yes, but a lot of times he'll say wait because what he wants to do is work in us through the intimate interaction and exchange with him and experience with God. So he, allow, he don't always give you what you want as soon as you ask because then he would spoil us. And a lot of times what we want to ask for at the beginning and initially is not even truly what we need and he knows that. So he wants to know, are you going to keep seeking me? Because as you seek me, a lot of times your prayers are going to be uh, 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 sent through a, a siphon to purify their motives. So, so God doesn't always answer the first time. Just like the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus with a need, her daughter was sick. And the Bible says Jesus act like he didn't even hear the woman. Then the woman came up to him and asked him again, Lord Jesus, please help me. And Jesus said, you know what, um... There's a blessing, I, I, I'll give this, I can't take what is for Israel and give it to the dogs, the Gentiles. And the woman could have given up right there, but she said, Jesus, but at least the dogs are able to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus said, my, I haven't seen such faith in all Israel because most folks would have stopped back then, but you kept going. You kept going and you didn't even care how humble or bold faced you were in your request to me. And so in our prayer lives... We need to be persistent like that. We need to trust that God hears us, that God knows he sees. So this parable, it communicates to us the importance of being persistent in prayer because God is trying to build our spiritual muscles, and it's called long-suffering and patience. If there's anything that persistence can teach us about life, it is to keep on knocking. And for young people, you just knocked on a serious door called high school. For college graduates, you just knocked on a serious door called college, and now you're a college graduate because a lot of people go to college, but not a lot of people graduate. They have a lot of different reasons why they can't graduate. Life happens, but many times people get lazy, they get tired, they get discouraged. The money is a whole lot, but still there are some people who are able to keep on pressing through and make it to the goal that they started off with. Because they were able to keep on knocking even when doors closed. So keep on knocking when they tell you that it's never been done. Keep on knocking when they tell you that it can't be done. Oh, and there's never been a college graduate in our family. Why are you even trying? What? Well, I'm going to be the first one. Yeah. Keep on knocking when they tell you that you can't get that job. When they tell you that you shouldn't go into the military. When they tell you that you shouldn't go into the police force. No, you keep on knocking and going after what God has put in your heart. Because some doors in life will not open on the first knock anyway. But you have to keep knocking because persistence pays off. J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, was rejected by 12 publishers before finally being picked up. I'm so glad she didn't stop after the first rejection. Colonel Sanders, the chicken man, the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken, was rejected over 1,000 times with his special, famous secret recipe. He kept on going till he found someone who would support his vision. Walt Disney, the creator of Disney World and Mickey Mouse, listen to this, was fired by a news editor because he supposedly lacked imagination. <laughs> Legend has it that he was turned down over 300 times 
before he got the financing for Disney World. I'm so glad he was persistent. Michael Jordan, weeping Michael, was cut by his high school basketball team in the ninth grade. But rather than licking his wounds and giving up on basketball and turning to baseball, oh, wait a minute, he, he wasn't that good in baseball. But, but rather than giving up, he said, I'm going to make the team my sophomore year. And the rest is history. And he jumped on a comet going to the stars ever since that decision. John Grisham, author of A Time to Kill, had his manuscript rejected 28 times before being picked up. He has since sold 250 million books. And Harriet Tubman, speaking of persistence, escaped from slavery and kept on returning in the face of danger in order to lead hundreds of slaves to freedom. And now she is going to be the first woman and the first person of color ever on our currency because persistence pays off. By graduating, you have shown you have persistence because people still drop out of high school today. You have shown endurance. Now keep the momentum going. Graduate to the next level. Graduate to the next opportunity. Graduate to the next season in your life and excel there. Because in conclusion, with this parable, Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer and in life because persistence always pays off. I'm so proud of you guys and gals. You've pressed on. You've pressed through. You never gave up. You reached your goal. And this gives you confidence to reach your next goal, whatever that may be, because success breeds success. Well, I know a little bit about persistence. I was told that there are five degrees of separation between you getting what you want or what you desire. You are five degrees or five people away from getting what you want or what you desire. Five degrees of separation. And I remember when uh, Barack Obama won the presidency for the first time. It was such a historic moment. And I was like, man, I would like to go to D.C. and be a part of that historical inauguration. Wow, man, man, but I, how, how can I get there? Well, I talked to a man named Dan Pitts, friend of mine, whose dad is a congressman from Pennsylvania, who's a Republican congressman. And for those who are wondering, I am nonpartisan. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. And I voted for President Obama one time. I didn't vote for him the second time. You figure out however you want with either term. Uh, but I said, I want to be there for that historical moment. So I reached out to Dan. I, I don't even know if I reached to Dan. Dan may have reached out to me and said, Pastor, because I know of the significance of this moment, my dad, who's a congressman, who has access to tickets, he can get you to the inauguration as well as to all the balls and all that kind of stuff. I was like, Lord, you're good. And I didn't even need all five degrees of separation. I only needed Dan and his daddy to get me to where I needed to go. I was persistent. 
got there, had a good time too. But then there was another thing, man. I have a bucket list. And number one on my bucket list was to meet a particular person. No, it wasn't the president, but it was Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind, and Fire. That was number one on my bucket list. I said, I got to meet Philip. I I just got to meet Philip. I got to meet Philip. So I began to think, now, five degrees of separation, how do I get what I want? How, How do I get there? Oh, wait a minute. Let me call my friend, Kirk Whalum, who's an internationally known musician who knows a lot of these people. So I called Kirk because Earth, Wind, and Fire was coming to the Ryman Auditorium. I said, hey, Kirk, do you know anybody on Earth, Wind, and Fire? Kirk said, yeah, I know the trombone player. His name is Reggie Young. Well, can you put me in touch with Reggie Young? Absolutely. And can you tell Reggie that his pastor wants to meet Philip Bailey? Kirk said, absolutely. Puts me in touch with Reggie. Reggie gives me all his contact number. Look, here's my house in California. Here's my cell phone number one. Here's my cell phone number two. So I call Reggie. We go to the Ryman. Reggie brings us backstage. We go past all of the people who paid money to be able to take a picture with Earth, Wind & Fire. We walk right around those people to go down some stairs backstage in the Ryman, knocked on Philip Bailey's dressing room door. opened up the door and went in and met Philip Bailey. (laughs) And I saw right there again, the Lord, when he puts something in your heart, you be persistent, you ask, you be bold-faced, you ask. But then there's another one I I, want to meet. There's somebody else I want to meet. And I'm going to meet him. His name is Steve Harvey. I wore this suit today in honor of Steve Harvey because I am going to meet Steve Harvey one day. And uh, one of our members kind of knows Steve Harvey. And that's the Russ family because they were on the family feud a couple of years ago. And so I don't know if they got Steve's phone number or not. But I'm I'm going to meet Steve one day because his story is a blessing to me. And his persistence has paid off. In People Magazine, the one that just came out June 6, 2016, it talks about how Steve Harvey went from being homeless to being a multimillionaire. Now, it's not about the money, but it's about the man's persistence to hang in there and not give up. He had reasons to give up along the way, but he kept going. He rediscovered God in his life. God put a great woman in his life, and things kept going, and he was able to keep pressing. Even when he messed up on the Miss Universe pageant and all the world made fun of him, he did not crawl into a shell and give up. He was persistent, and he kept going, because in life you will make mistakes. But those of us who are persistent, we learn from our mistakes. We get up, and by the grace of God, we don't commit them again. But even if we commit them again, there is grace from God to get us up and get us moving and moving and moving. And so Steve said in that article, he said uh, when he was homeless and he was living in his car, he said, a voice said, if you keep going, I'm going to take you places you have never been. It was like God said, don't quit. You're almost there. That's why he inspires me. 
So to our graduates today, may your persistence continue to inspire all of us because we're watching you. And we're blessed by your tenacity and your stamina and your stick to to hang in there and not give up. Your persistence has paid off. Brenton, amen.